It is good to see each one of you here this morning. We've got a lot of folks that uh, are out today and uh, folks that are sick and various needs and so forth. And so I pray for them. I know there are folks that would love to be here that's just not able to, and we, we don't want to forget them. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Two weeks ago, I made a reference to the first verse of this chapter, where the Lord said to Isaiah, Comfort ye, comfort ye. My people saith your God. And ever since then, I haven't, I haven't been able to get that verse off of my mind. And, uh, of course, it's been a special verse to me for many, many years. But, uh, but a lot of times I might quote a particular verse that's dear to my heart. And there'd be no reason for me to keep thinking about it all week long. But I just absolutely could not forget about that verse. And so... Now I know why uh, God laid this on my heart Monday morning and just over and over again pounded its message uh, into my heart. The book of Isaiah itself is absolutely amazing. It's been called the Bible in miniature. The Bible in miniature. As you know, there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 of them in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It so happens that in the book of Isaiah, there are 66 chapters, and the dividing point is here at the end of, of chapter 39. More remarkable than that, I think, is the theme of the book of Isaiah whenever you deal with it and think about what it's all about and how that the first part has to do basically with condemnation upon a sinful people. But when we come to chapter number 40, on through the remainder of the book, although there is mention of judgment, the main thought there has to do with comfort. And I wish I had time to tell you the whole story of King Hezekiah, because that's who we're talking about here this morning. And especially I'd like to comment on what I think is a stupid blunder that he made Here's a man that starts out as being a great king and uh, does a lot of good things. But, but uh, in verse number 8 of chapter 39, there's a verse, and unless the Lord changes my mind, I'm going to be preaching from this verse two weeks from today. Then said Hezekiah, now this is whenever the, the Lord has pronounced judgment upon, upon Judah, it's coming, you're going to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But I'm going to, 
I'm going to keep the covenant that I made with David. So that's not going to happen right now, but it'll be after, you know, after Hezekiah's kicked the bucket. Listen to what he says. Then Hezekiah, then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken. He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. If that doesn't hit you between the eyes like a sledgehammer, two weeks from now I'll explain why it should. Because it's showing concern basically for nobody but himself. Now when we come to chapter number 40, we see that God has pronounced this judgment upon, upon Judah. We could read the entire chapter here. And yet in the face of that, and this is what's so remarkable, in the face of the condemnation being pronounced upon them, he turns right around and tells Isaiah, I want you to comfort them. You know, it, you know, the natural mind, you think, well, what difference does it make? They're going to be carried off into captivity. And yet he says, although they have sinned, although they're going to, they're going to be judged for their sin, comfort them. Now, before I speak about how we can deal with our difficulties that's involved in their situation, I want to speak to you this morning about the sad situation that existed. And my message today is surviving sad situations. I just about bet you that all of us have been there, done that. We've been in a sad situation with suffering and pain and sorrow and uh, Isaiah's telling him, look, things are bad, but they're going to get even, even worse. And as he delivers the message, according to verse number 27, evidently they had the attitude that God doesn't even really care. I mean, let, let's just look through verse number 27 and you'll get the picture, I think. And notice, notice what they're saying. And Isaiah questions them, or God actually. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? Now, that word way there has to do with their position or their condition, however you want to look at it. And they feel like that they are out of God's sight, out of God's mind, that he has just disregarded them. You know, they believed that God was taking no notice of their fears and their tears, their pain and their prayers, that he's just absolutely ignoring us. Our way is hid from the Lord. He doesn't see the condition that we're in. And as wrong as they were, you have to admit that is a horrible feeling to have, the feeling that God doesn't care. And some of you might have had that experience. Some of you might be going through an experience like that. Even though you're wrong, dead wrong about the matter, it makes you miserable. And I want you to understand you don't have to live the rest of your life like that. See, God's not paying any attention to our situation. And then notice the second comment they made. And my judgment is passed over from my God. In other words, they're saying that their, their cause should come before God for consideration, but he is ignoring them. 
He's not being just. He's not being fair. He's not giving them their due. He refuses to hear them or to help them. And, uh, you know, it's bad enough to think that about God. Don't you agree? That we would think that God doesn't care. But it's, it's even worse whenever we, when we say it. And that's exactly why they're being rebuked here in these verses because they, they are not just, they're not just uh, mourning, they're murmuring. They're complaining about God who has been nothing but fair to them. And you know, if we'd all be honest, there are times that maybe we didn't say it, but we felt in our heart, you know, well, Job did, David did, the psalmist did. Several instances of people just feeling like that, I can't believe God is ignoring me. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And uh, so here they are accusing God of being unfair and unconcerned. And the truth is we all sometimes feel that way because of the severity of what we're going through. I want you to notice three things this morning that will help help us to survive our sad situations. Whatever it is, doesn't make any difference in the nature of the problem. But there are three things that will help you survive to get through it and get over it and go on and serve God. Notice verse 27. And here's the first thing you need to remember. Don't doubt God's concern. Because a lot of people have. I think about... Uh, over in Psalms 10 and verse 1 where the psalmist says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Boy, that's a horrible, terrible indictment to make against God. But if you go on and read there in chapter 10 of the Psalms, you see beginning in verse 14 that he comes to his senses. And that happens over and over and over Aren't you glad that God is such a loving God that he takes into consideration that we are but flesh? And God literally, rather than, rather than turning around and just rebuking them and tearing into them, it's like the Lord just says, you know, I love you anyway. Even though you misunderstand me, even though you falsely accuse me, I love you anyway. We come over to the New Testament and we think about the situation concerning the apostles and there are so many. And we see him saying on one occasion to his followers, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthing? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. So regardless of how things seem to you, you've got to remember that God is not disconnected from your problem. He knows about it, he cares about it, and he can help. God's love is so amazing, there are no words to even describe it. I, Romans chapter 8, it just over and over and over through the years, I've read those verses beginning in verse 31 and as he is elaborating upon the, upon the greatness of God's love. And he says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not 
how shall he not with him, you get that, with him, also, in addition to him, with him freely, give us all things. Well, what does that mean? That means he's going to give us everything that we need. Not everything we want, but everything we need. And then he goes on and on. But verse 37, he says, Nay, in all of these things, that is, in, if you look at verse 35, all of these tribulation, distress, persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the peril of the sword, and all of these things were more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, that is unconditional love. That regardless of what we do, as wrong as it is, God still loves us. Never doubt God's concern for your life. Everybody else might forsake you. They might mistreat you. But God is concerned about whatever you're going through, even when it's not something that we would consider as a, as a great, huge issue, but even what man, we think of as... Uh, hardly important enough to take notice of. Even those little things, the hairs of your head are all numbered. And just as the, he takes note of the sparrow that falls, he takes note of everything that happens in your life. Now look at verse 28, and here's the second thing that'll help you to survive sad situations. Don't doubt God's capability. Has thou not known, has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. Isaiah wanted them to see that God's wisdom, his works, his ways are, are beyond compare and beyond comprehension. You know, if God was just concerned about your situation, that is, he takes note of it, every little detail of your life, and he's sitting there, as it were, in heaven, thinking, boy, I, I'm sure sorry that they're going through that. I, I wish they didn't have to suffer like that. Uh, if, if that's all he had was concerned, it would never be enough. But the fact of the matter is, he's more than concerned. He is able. He's able to do something about the situation because just the concern's not enough if there's no capability. And God is always capable, regardless of what the situation is. And that's why I fell in love with 2 Corinthians chapter 4 so many years ago. I mean, it not only tells us what the Lord has done for us and what he expects from us, but it describes for us how we can get through the most difficult things imaginable. And that is for us to keep our eyes upon him and focus on not the temporal things, not the things that pass away, not the earthly things, but that we keep our focus upon the heavenly things, the things that are eternal. And, and Paul is telling us there, that is the way that he survived the difficulties that he went through. And boy, when you look at the long list of things that he suffered, and by the way, that happened from the very beginning. If you'll remember, soon as he was saved, right after he was saved, God instructed him that to understand the great things that he would have to suffer for his namesake. He went into the ministry with that warning, I guess you could call it, that you're going to suffer. This is not going to be easy. 
And thank God he trusted God enough that he believed that God was capable. And that's why he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Thank God for a God like that. For a Savior who isn't just concerned, but a Savior who is able to meet our every need. He is able. You say, well, you, 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 preacher, you don't know the problem I got. It's a whole lot bigger than you could ever imagine. I just, I just don't see any solution. I don't see any way out. I know you don't. I understand that. You're blinded by the situation and what have you, but please understand God's able. He can change everything. And it doesn't take him all day to do it sometimes. He does it according to his own timetable because he knows what's best. So please, whatever your situation is, don't ever doubt God's concern or his capability. And don't, don't ever doubt God's commitment. Look at verse 29 now, and he elaborates and goes into more detail here concerning the situation. He giveth power. That's, that's a gift. He giveth power. Oh, we sure don't have it in and of ourselves. There are no self-made men who are what they ought to be. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no strength, he increaseth strength. And that is reminding us here that God, God is able and God is willing and that God keeps his commitments. Don't doubt God's commitment to you. He's concerned about you. He's capable of meeting your needs, but he has committed himself to you. Now remember, these people to whom Isaiah is speaking are those that are complaining even though they're sinful, even though they are deserving of their punishment. Here they are complaining about it. That's why in chapter 1 of Isaiah, he likens them to, to little children. You know, you put a bunch of little kids together, and it doesn't take very long for a fight to break out. Uh, you mark it down, one of them's going to have something the other one wants, and they're going to push, and they're going to shove, and they're going to scream, and they're going to cry. And that's exactly... <laughs> What the Lord likens these people to, they're like, like children. And considering their sinfulness, they didn't have any right to complain whatsoever. By the way, neither do we. And that's why the Bible tells us to be content in whatever state that we're in. Boy, if there's any sin that we all violate, that's probably one that gets all of us, don't you think? Because we just seemingly can't be satisfied with things as they are. And even whenever we're guilty and we violated God's laws and what have you, and we've rebelled against God, we still insist on things being the way we think that they ought to be. They have forsaken God, but he wants them to understand that in spite of what you've done, God is still fully committed to you. Remember, as I said at the beginning... When God pronounced judgment upon them, he said, but, not going to happen right now. Why? Well, because he had made a covenant with David. God had made a promise. God had committed himself that it wasn't going to happen during that span of time. And God said, I'm going to honor that, but hang on and get ready because it's coming. God is committed 
to his people, those that trust him. You know, these verses offer hope to whether you're weak, weary, worn, or, or just worried about something, you can be assured that, that God's able and that God's willing to provide whatever we need. But the problem is, you see, we always want to blame the problem on God or somebody else. But the real problem is, we look at the situation in our life and it's not something that's pleasant, not something we would ever invite into our life. But we look at the problem and we, we, think, uh, we think it shouldn't happen to us. And yet, the fact of the matter is, we resist the one thing that would help us deliver us from that problem. And that is to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we depend upon ourselves, we're always going to fail. Like he's talking about the young here. He says, you know, in verse number 30, he speaks about the young and the strong and, and the fact that they're going to fail. You know, to get God's help, we have to realize that we're helpless without him. And some folks haven't awakened to that fact yet. They still got the silly idea in their mind that, you know, I... I I can do what needs to be done. I can get what I want. I can do whatever I want to do. I, you know, I, I don't need all that religious stuff. Well, you're right about that. You don't need any religious stuff. You just need Jesus. But believe me, folks, listen. All of us need the Lord, regardless of who we are. We have to believe that he is able, that he's willing, that he cares, he's committed to us. Verse 29, he giveth what? Power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Now, if you want to rear back on your hind legs and boast about how intelligent you are and how strong you are and how godly you are and all of that, well, help yourself. But let me tell you, in the end, if you're trying to do it without the Lord, you're going to fail. It always happens that way. There's not a person anywhere who's without a need of some sort. Every person needs something. And uh, we could all, you know, do better than what we do. And we could all please the Lord more than we do. There's no telling what great things God might, might do. I said a while ago that in two weeks, unless the Lord changes my mind, I'm going to preach on what what I believe to be a blunder by Hezekiah, where he says, oh, yeah, I know judgment's coming, but good is the word of the Lord. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. Just totally ignoring the next generation, in other words. You know, they, they'll just have to deal with that on their own. That's kind of the attitude that he has in regards to that. We look at these children and think about those that were just in vacation Bible school Think about our young people that get up here and sing and thank God for that. Let me tell you, there is no telling what great things that God can do with these young folks. And by the way, there's no telling what great things that God can do with those, those that are just hobbling around and your hair is gray and your body is weak and you feel like, well, I'm not good for anything. Well, if you can pray, you're good for something. God has something for you to do. 
and we need to trust him instead of putting limitations upon upon what he does in our life not only do we live in trouble sometimes that you can mark it down folks it's going to get worse and worse as time goes by and the only way any of us can live successfully the only way that we can survive those sad situations that we find ourselves in is faith in God. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just simply believing, putting your faith and your trust in God. It is simple in one sense of the word, but the fact is when you really put your trust in the Lord, that changes everything about you. It changes your perspective on every problem you have. It changes how you think about time and eternity and what's valuable and what's not valuable. And yet, most people are, well, like those in Isaiah chapter 1, where the Lord said, come and let us reason together. I love that phrase. Let us reason together. The point is, they were not being reasonable. They didn't want to reason things out. Let me tell you, you're not being reasonable whenever you think you don't need God in charge of your life. You're not being reasonable when you think you can't trust God, that you can do it without God. That's not being reasonable. If you want to know what's wrong with our country and our culture today, you don't have to look any further than this right here. Read the entire first chapter. You see the horrible, horrible judgment that he had pronounced upon them. And yet he is extending to them an invitation. Come now, let us reason together. Though your, though your sins, uh, he said, are, are what is ashes, they shall be as white as snow. They can be as scarlet. And he's speaking to people here that have violated his law, rebelled against him. And judgment is pronounced upon them. And he's saying, be reasonable about this. And a lot of folks moan and complain about everything in life, and yet they refuse to be reasonable about the situation because for whatever reason, they refuse to trust God. That's what's wrong with our country and our culture. You know, I might not know what your particular problem is, but I can tell you how to survive it. I've just, in these three things here, you can survive by understanding that you need not doubt God's concern, his capability, or his commitment to you. Yeah, but preacher, I mean, we all have these bad days. If you really understood the situation I'm in, you would see and you'd understand, you'd realize that it's impossible. How do I get out of a mess like that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 is a pretty good place. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Verse 3 says, consider him. If you're ever going to get out of that bad situation, you're going to have to get your eyes on God. You know, that, it's a whole lot more to being a Christian than just studying what the Bible says and memorizing the scriptures and debating the doctrines and issues like that. There's a lot more to it than that. We're not just to, we're not just to be familiar with the Word of God. We are to trust the Word of God. 
And I could speak for an hour on these last three verses, and the Lord willing, that's what I'm going to preach about next week, those last three verses where he talks about dealing with their difficulties and gives them the, the promise of, of what he will do in the face of these serious situations. By the way, what he gives to them by way of a promise is also valid for each and every child of God. Think about God's exceeding great and precious promises. I'm talking about the promises proclaiming that, that we, can, we can be able to see the invisible. Oh, you say, well, I don't believe that. You don't? Isn't that what faith is? That's exactly what faith is. It enables you to be able to see that which is invisible. The Bible says Abraham saw God as seeing him who is invisible. That's what faith enables us to do. And so many times we get all bent out of shape about our situation because we don't understand this and we don't understand that. But whoever said we're supposed to understand it? There are other issues involved, things that are invisible to the naked eye. And it's faith that enables us to see the invisible and overcome the invincible. It enables us to be able to resist our natural instincts. Boy, that's, <laughs> that'd be a big help right there, wouldn't it? Those natural instincts that we have. You know, the kind we display out on the highway when people cut us off and People cut the line in Walmart and stuff like that. Our natural instinct is to what? Well, it's usually wrong. But by faith, we're able to resist those things. We can conquer those inducements in our life that would tempt us to sin. We can defeat immorality. We can literally do the impossible. We receive what? Eternal life. How? By grace through what? Faith. Simply trusting God to do what he promised he would do. And it's by that faith that we have what? An inheritance in heaven. Wow. Why wouldn't you want to live a life of faith in the Lord? You know, it's no wonder we wonder about the greatness of God because that, that's something to wonder. I'm talking about wonder in the sense of admiration for him and astonishment at the great things that he can do and that's why Isaiah says what he does here he wants them to understand the greatness of God in the face of their of the face of their problems I wonder if we took a survey today maybe passed out a piece of paper and a pencil said I want you to write down what you consider to be your greatest problem or maybe your greatest need We'd probably get a wide variety of answers, wouldn't we? That, you know, for some it would be a, a physical matter. Because we got a lot of sick folks, and boy, it would be wonderful if, if God would heal them. We've got people sometimes, you know, that are in need of finances, people in all kinds of different needs. We'd get a, a, a wide variety. But let me tell you what your greatest need is. It doesn't make any difference who you are here today. Your greatest need is to have faith in God. You need to simply believe that with God all things are possible. And if you want God's help, everybody claims they want God's help, right? Well, I want God to do this for me. I want God to do that for me. 
If you want God's help, you have to trust God. Now, you tell most people that, and if they're honest, they really don't want to hear that. Because they want to believe that they, that they are in a situation that nothing can get them out of. Or maybe they're in a situation and they prayed and asked God, Lord, deliver me from this. And God's already made it clear, no, I, you're not getting out of this. Maybe you're thinking, well, what in the world am I supposed to do if God won't change my situation, change your attitude about your situation? And the only way you can do that is by faith in God. He might not change your circumstances, but he can change you. And that's what we need is to be able to trust him in the difficult days. Whenever we are disappointed, we're discouraged, we're defeated, we feel like we're in despair in a sad situation. And let me tell you, you can't wish your way out of it. You can't work your way out of it. And there might be some here today that's swallowed up with sadness in their life. And if that's the case, I want to I give you something I want you to be sure that you remember. And here it is. Doubt is destructive. Don't doubt. Doubt is destructive. Don't doubt. You say, well, preacher, everybody doubts. That doesn't make it right. I'm talking about doubting God. Sitting in judgment of God as though God might not keep the promises that he's made. You ever think about the fact that doubting God is disrespectful? It's more than that. It's disgraceful. It's destructive for us to doubt God. Whenever I was sitting at home this morning and thinking about the message, I thought, as soon as I can, I want to preach a message about the danger of doubt. And boy, I, I wouldn't even know where to start because it's all through the Bible, demonstrations of the danger of doubt. And the, it, it deceives people. It'll disturb you. It'll divert your attention from what's important. It'll demoralize you. It'll defile you. It literally will destroy you. If you don't believe me, just go home and read the Bible. There is one example after another. And the only way to survive these sad situations is what? Is to trust God. And let me tell you, and this is blunt, but it's true. If you're not willing to do that, there's no hope of help for you. Believe me, I thought seriously about that statement before I made it. Sometimes I say things without thinking and get things wrong but I thought a lot about this and it's not wrong if you refuse to trust God you have no hope of help not the kind of help you need because it is an insult to God that we would refuse to trust him and we need to think about that you ever think about who makes the promise those promises were made by the one that suffered and bled and died on the cross for your sins. You know what his name is? Faithful and true. That's what the Bible says. He is faithful and true, and he was even given the name faithful and true. You can depend upon him as the old song says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 
You say, oh, I got a lot of faith. I've got faith everything's going to work out all right. You know, I, I, while everybody else is in a state of panic, I'm just laid back and calm. I, 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 everything's going to be okay. I, I've got a lot of faith. It doesn't make any difference if your faith is in the wrong thing. It's the object of your faith that makes all the difference in the world. And for your faith to be of any help to you, your faith has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're here today as an unsaved person or whether you're here as a child of God that's going through some sad situation and you just don't know how in the world you can get out of it. And I've just told you, you get out of it by putting your trust in the one who wrote this book full of promises. If you'll trust him, he'll get you through whatever it is that you're going through. He'll never lie to you about anything and he's always committed to his children. As impossible as it seems, you say, well, I'm afraid he won't do it the way I want him to do it. Well, would you rather have it done right or wrong? Because a lot of times, as I said, God doesn't change our situation. We just have to live with the way it is. But here's the good news. When you find yourself in a situation like that, you know what God does? If you read Morning Manna this morning, you know he gives grace. He says, my grace shall be sufficient. Boy, believe you me, I've, I've hung all of my hopes upon that, upon that promise time and time again for 55 years. My grace will be sufficient. Doesn't make any difference to circumstances. His grace is sufficient. Here I picture Paul. And three times he's begging and pleading. Now, if anybody... You'd think if anybody could get through to God and get what they wanted, it'd be Paul, right? And he had the thorn in the flesh, and he's begging God, Lord, please get rid of this. I, I can't live with this any longer. I, I, I don't know what to do. You know, you might have been thinking, this is a hindrance to my ministry, Lord. I want to do more for you, and you've disabled me. This is not right. And then he makes a statement. He says, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And you know why? Because the Lord promised, my grace shall be sufficient. That's all you need is the grace of God and to put your faith in the one who supplies that grace that you need. Is your trust in the Lord today for salvation? If it's not, there's nowhere else to turn. There's no other hope. I'll guarantee you that those that are Christians here today be willing to stay here the rest of the afternoon if that's what it took for you to become a child of God. Nobody is in a hurry to get out of here if it means a difference whether you're saved or not. That's the most important thing that could happen right now is for someone to trust Christ as their Savior. And if you're here today and you're a child of God struggling with your situation, I hope you leave here today knowing that there is hope and that hope is in Jesus and trusting him to do as he promised. Father in heaven, we, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and the exceeding greatness 
of all of your perfections, to think about not the, just the things that you've done, but the, the very person that you are, far beyond our comprehension, and yet it's within the grasp of our appreciation to know that we have a God who is able, a God who cares, a God who is capable and willing to, willing to meet the needs of his children, willing and able to save those that are lost. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit will work in, in the hearts of each and every one of us here today, and that we'll yield our stubbornness and stop acting like children and put our faith in you for whatever our need might be. And Lord, for those that cannot seem to understand why they can't believe, help them today to realize that if they will simply get in your word, that the power of your word will build up the very faith that they need to face the situation they're in. May you be glorified Christ edified your people this morning. May they be built up in the holy faith and the lost be saved in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we